This is Dave Chaos, station manager at KNON Radio, and I am here with Reverend Marion Barnett, host of KNON's Church and Information Forum. Reverend Barnett, let's begin with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Hearn, Texas. Been in Dallas about 54 years. And uh, I came here, I went to college in this area. I graduated from Southwestern University with a bachelor's degree. And I went on to other schools, but uh, I don't like to talk a whole lot about my education because I don't want to turn anybody off. And who influenced you as a young man? My father, and I had an aunt. Probably my aunt the most of all. She was a lady that stood up strong and tall in the community. Wasn't a tall woman, but she stood up. She stood for what was right. She would teach people and tell them what to do. And she took me and used me as her guinea pig in most cases. (laughs) She she had something she wanted to prove to everybody in her and all around Central Texas area, especially to other people, to white people and everything. I was her guinea pig. She called me. Then I said, oh, my God, what do I care about? I want you to go down there to the drugstore, sit up on the lunch counter, and order your hamburger. Now, see, that had never been done before. <laughs> Boy, you going in there. They passed the civil rights yesterday. This was uh, July 3rd, 1964. I was uh, 16 years old. And uh, whatever she needed done, she used me to integrate the school system in here in Texas. Going on now, you're not going to your school. And my school was dependent on me because I was a football star. But, you know, you're going over here to Hearn High. And you're going to register and go to her and hire. And went over there. The superintendent showed up with the principal and all of that. They told me, no, that school never be integrated. She said, all right, we're going to see. She didn't get me in that year. But the next year, my senior year, she brought me back. And she got me here. Although I didn't stay for one day. <laughs> so I wanted to go back. I wasn't eligible to play football over at her and high. But I would have been at my homeschool or blackshire. But whatever she needed, broken down, I was a guinea pig. Do you remember your first experience with social injustice? Yes. We were coming to Dallas from Hearn once, and we pulled into, I've forgotten what town it was, but we pulled into a service station and getting gas, and I, I needed a drink of water. And I saw a water fountain right there. It was sitting outside. You didn't have to even go into the station. I went there and started drinking that water, and everybody just started out. Oh, no, no, stop, stop. Come away from the car. I didn't know what was going on. I was a small kid then. I might not have been but five or six. That's the first time I can remember it. Drinking from the wrong water fountain. Yes, that was white on me. I, bet I couldn't read, so I didn't, I didn't know. And that, that's my first real remembrance of social injustice. And you were five years old? I, I, about five. I know uh, I, had, I hadn't started the first grade, so I, I'm guessing five. might have been four, but I was probably five. I was always a big kid from my age, but I couldn't read at that time. Your show started on Tuesday, March 11th, 1986. What mm-hmm. led you to having a radio show on KNON? I was called by uh, the station manager at that particular time. His name was Jeff Murray. He and his wife was managing the station, and uh, he heard me on another radio station, 
and called me at home and said, uh, how would you like to come be on KNON? And I had heard of KNON because I, every time I would be driving somewhere, I used to hear KNON, they had some guy, it's, it was a recording, I didn't know, it sounded like he was in the shower. And he was taking a shower and singing, singing in the shower. But he called me, and I told him, well, uh, you want me to come over there, what do you want me to do? He said, talk. I said, talk? Talk about what? Just talk. He heard me doing a talk show on uh, another station, really, KKDA. And uh, he said, I want you to come over here and talk. I said, talk about what? He said, you know, just talk. Well, and I well, came over and started talking. And after I realized what he was talking about doing a talk show, the next week I had Royce West and John Vance on. Uh, they were running for district attorney. The very next week I had them on. Boy, that sort of blowed blowed everybody's mind. But I knew, you know, I knew them because I was a social activist. So you were at KKDA. Uh Uh-huh. What did you do at KKDA? We did a a Friday show called The Minister's Forum. It was hosted by Willis Johnson. Uh, Several, it was three other other preachers. Okay. And he chose me, asked me to come over here. Okay, so you came to KNON so you could have your own talk show. Yeah, I was coming to have my own talk show, but I, it was more or less I thought uh, when I heard and asked people about KNON, they, they told me that it was it was something that uh, it started uh, new. It was some activists. They told me it was uh, tied in, I think, with ACORN at that time. It was a social movement. That's why I really came, because it was a social movement that was trying to upgrade the living standards of low to moderate income people. Why did you name your show Church and Information Forum? Well, they told me I'd be coming on after the gospel shows would go off. See, gospel used to go off at 8 o'clock. And uh, I noticed other shows, I'd be listening to other shows coming on at 8. They come on playing secular music. Well, that was their thing. But I know what people would do when that secular music would come on and they'd been sitting there listening to gospel. So what I did, I named it Church Information, No Before Cape Keeping in that same mode because KNON brought gospel back to Dallas. You hadn't had any gospel music in Dallas for years. KNON brought it back. They'll never give KNON credit, but KNON brought gospel back, I really, to black America because other stations heard about KNON. And, and all over the country, they started playing gospel music. Because your uh, DJs were not professionals, but they knew gospel music, and it became very popular. So I just kept it in the gospel mode. And I, had I, you I, always followed a gospel show for your entire time here at KNON? Yes. I've always followed the gospel show. That's why I always make sure my theme song is gospel. Follow behind them. Those who, most people who know me now know what the show is all about before then. I played gospel because I wanted to give them a chance to hear my show. And that's how I held it. So you kept that audience. And I kept that audience. I've kept a very good audience for almost 35 years. On your first show, what what were the topics discussed? I had, I talked with Reverend S.M. Wright. Now, I don't know if you heard of him, but at that time, he was the preacher in Dallas. He was the, the black preacher in Dallas. He ran Dallas. The powers that be in this city wanted, they go through Reverend S.M. Wright. And I 
had him on, in which I wanted to do that early in my program just to keep the church audience. And I fought to keep keep it. I kept a lot of them. Some I probably lost because I was too far there for <laughs> most of them. But I kept a large church audience, and I gained a good secular audience because I had gospel bringing coming in on gospel and going off on the blues. <laughs> so, did you get any phone calls on your first show? Were you uh-huh. able to take phone calls? Yeah, I took phone calls because I I was already known. Pretty well known in the community. You know, I was a political act. How was the response? Pros and cons. <laughs> so, Love and hate? Yes. Hate may come first. But <laughs> <laughs> at, at one time, you were on twice a week. When was that, and, and what <clears throat> were the days you were on? That was uh, Mark McNeil, who was the station manager at the time, gave me those two days. He said, your show is so hot and so popular that uh, you need to be on more than one hour. So he put me on Tuesdays and Fridays. That worked very well. That worked That worked well. What do your listeners say to you when you meet them in person? I don't want to boast because if I say something, they say he on that break. Some of them ask me for my autograph. <laughs> well, now, now uh, a sad dog don't wag its tail. This is <laughs> why we got you here. Well, we um, talk about the issues, they ask me about issues, something I've been talking about or something that's going on in this city, around this nation, around the world. They ask me about that. Then they ask me about history, and there are different things like that want to talk. I have a seemingly lot of good, kind people, nice people, listen to my show. Have you ever met someone you had an honor disagreement with? Oh, yes. Now, a whole lot of people don't agree with me, a whole lot. More agree with me now. 99% of the people I meet now agree with me. But let's go back 25 years, something like that, or 30 years, when I was younger. I think some of it now, they respect my age. (laughs) But see, I was a young man then. Take me back 35 years. I was only about 33 years old. And see, now I had a a baby face. I look young. You're too young to know what you're talking about. You don't know. You haven't lived. You're going to run through a lot of that. Wasn't until I got older, then some people started respecting me. Some respected me from the very beginning. Some just come aboard in the last 20 years. So you have run into people that you had honor disagreements with in public. Were they, were they as uh, argumentative with you in person as they no. were on the phone? No. I just disagree with you. They talk to me in different things. I, I talk to them and everything. But as far as for running into someone that's argumentative, uh, want to get violent and all that, no. No, I never have. Why do you do your show? I love communicating with people and trying to get information to them, trying to inform the general public about what's going on. I have to realize KNON is basically alternative radio. We're not going to give you the same thing uh, Channel 8, 4, 5, 11 going to give you. You'll get the truth. And you'll get stories, but you get it from, most cases, a different perspective. And let people call in and talk and hear what they have to say. I open up my phone lines. It's rarely a show I don't open up my phone line. I have a very uh, large call-in audience. I honestly want to hear their opinion. I don't, when they start talking, I don't cut them off if they don't agree with me. But I've gotten so now. Most do agree. But 
There are some that don't. I, I listen to them. This is community radio. We're supposed to be the voice of the people. So my job is to give all the people a chance to voice their opinion. What was it like for you broadcasting at the first KNON building? Now, that was an adventure. (laughs) I could broadcast. I went into a little closet. That's the smallest closet I've ever seen in my life, the little closet. The broadcast closet. Yeah. (laughs) It really wasn't wide enough for that chair I had in there. Y'all put it in there, and you couldn't close it all the way because the chair was too wide and all. That was an adventure. But it kept you on your P's and Q's because you, could, you couldn't relax it now. You, could, you wasn't going to relax. I, I had a good time. So the I, original studio was in a bedroom closet in a house on it, San Jacinto that, in East Dallas. Was that what that was? It was a bedroom closet. That was a bedroom closet. Yep. It was small. Oh, it was tiny. It was tight in there. And at that time, uh, I was larger than I am now. I weighed about at that time, by 270, which be real large. And uh, I've slimmed down now back to about my high school weight now, by 230. But uh, it was exciting. I was excited because I had people to call in and uh, disagree. Say, boy, we're going to get you off that side. It was just, <laughs> and everything. I was excited because I knew everyone was not going to be friendly to what I had to say, so what it, I still had said. Right. And so went on. And it took off from there. From that point on, I always had a full hour of calls. I've, I've never had problems with calls on this show, never have. People be calling from all walks of life, just people, you know, talking. And that's what it was supposed to be about, Jeff. Jeff was very surprised and happy. Wow. How did you get that kind of response the first time on there? They didn't know me, and I didn't know any of the people. But we just talked like we were sitting in each other's living room. So the first location was at 4415 San Jacinto. San Jacinto. And it was in an old white house. Um, Antebellum home. When I first saw that house, I looked. I said, this, this reminds me of slavery, yeah. <laughs> Those big pillows. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like, looked like the slave. That's why know, we call the, it the White House in East <laughs> Dallas. It had, like, the pillars everything. in front like a, like the White House had. Yes, yeah. it did. It did. Yeah. So we shared that building with <laughs> Acorn. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about Acorn? They were very energetic and dedicated. They were getting out there. They'd walk those streets all over Dallas. You see them everywhere. And uh, that's what made me like this whole thing. You had people that was concerned, and they were not out trying to beat somebody for a dollar. And uh, I saw how just how concerned they were. They were really, they'd work. You see them in daytime. You see them in the evening. You saw young. You saw old people. You saw all kind of people, all different ethnic groups, everything. People worked together with Acorn. That was a great organization that I hate. It's not in Dallas anymore. I really hate it for the simple fact. Uh, which president was that Acorn put in office, really? Obama. Yeah, President Obama. Yeah, they organized the, the voter registra- registration yeah. drive that uh, empowered many, many. Those using those cell phones at the time, which the old billionaire, 
conservative power structure didn't realize that those cell phones was as popular and as communicative as they really were. They were taken by surprise. Power yeah. social media for organizing. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, 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 they had, I, I'm sure that, that obviously had never crossed their mind, but they did. Well, see, I had new activists in this city. He was with the Bodog Patriots, John Fullenwater. You know him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he had been with the Bodog Patriots, and uh, I was at, I asked him, are y'all a part of that? No. It's an acorn. Then I checked in on it, and everybody told me, they're all right. They're all right. I didn't know what kind of uh, organization they were, but I had to. to I had to make it and see it and listen to it. Then I heard it on KNON at that hour, Econ Hour. Yeah, and I liked what I heard. That was it. And it, 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 it's something, it was something brand new in Dallas, Texas. Dallas is a big, rich, conservative city. Always been known for it. A big, rich, conservative city. And it seems like it was, uh, the go live was taking on, I mean, uh, Davis was taking on go live <laughs> in Dallas, Texas. It's been very conservative. It was uh, sort of the headquarters, Dallas, Texas, and right outside of Los Angeles County. It's a very conservative county. And these were two of the two big hot spots for the Republican Party. They had been for years. I knew if, if they could catch on and hang on in Dallas, they can do it anywhere. Because other cities, you go to the Deep South and everything, they're right-wing conservative. But... Dallas is right-wing conservative and rich. They have the money to carry out anything they want to. And I say, if this organization can come here and thrive in Dallas, we got to join them. Yeah. Any, any advice for today's young activist? If we could ever get a Wade Rafke to come to Dallas to really come in and talk with a group of young people and energize them, and have some of us who know about the civil rights movement, who went through it and worked in it. It's, it takes work. See, if you don't know how to know anything about something, you can't address it. There are people only live as well as they know how. I take for granted that sometimes people come along and uh, they should know this and they should know that. Then I began to think about it. They weren't even born. We have to teach them, teach them how to get out and work and make changes. See, I'd never dreamed in my life that I would be able to even go into a, a store in downtown Dallas, uh, a coffee shop or anything, have a Coke or uh, coffee. I never dreamed I'd be able to do that in Dallas. Things was just that dismal then. We coming down the sidewalk, and then some white lady coming, and if sidewalk was a crowd, you better cross them across that street. Don't walk close to that woman. It was that bad. See, most people alive today don't realize how tough it once was. But because of young people, see, remember now, Martin Luther King or Malcolm X, neither one of them ever saw 40 years old. It was young people that led the civil rights movement, that worked it, and got changes, so many changes made, got voting rights. It used to be it cost $1.75 in Texas to vote. Now, that that's, that's a, you're probably laughing right inside on the inside with that. But go back 50, 60 years ago. Poll tax. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of money. That was a lot of money. Yeah, it was uh, intended I, to keep 
low to moderate income and minority people, people from voting. voting. And it did. They found new ways to do it. Yeah, then they come up with your literacy test and give you a bar. So now, tell me how many bubbles in this bar. <laughs> you got you to gotta get it just right. Things like that. Everything just to keep us from being full-fledged American citizens. We went through all kinds of trouble, but because young people got out and marched, demonstrated, spoke out, older heads was leading, and uh, some young people got in leadership too because we all suffered the same thing. We, we knew what was going on. It wasn't like it. It wasn't as, uh, see, racism is sophisticated now. You can be discriminated against and don't know it. Back then, it was wide open. In your face. In your face. There was no mistake about it. So that's the difference between then and now. But it's still as strong as it's ever been. It's still systematic racism. Oh, my God, that system is still well intact. Right now, we have a governor. See, all of us ought to be in off in Austin right now at the governor's mansion or at the Capitol building, somewhere in Austin, if the governor is there. We ought to be in Austin. Anytime a man going to tell you we're going to have one box for you in, in each county in Texas, 254 counties in Texas, we'll have one box in each county. Several things wrong with that, man. Yep. <laughs> to drop off your mailing votes. Yeah. 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 And, uh, see, there are some counties out in uh, West Texas, Brewster County, like that, the counties are bigger than the state of Rhode Island. <laughs> we got counties in Texas. Then you take Houston, over 4 million people in Harris County. Dallas, I think, where well, I'm in, about 3, 3 point what, 3.2, 3.3 million people in Dallas County. And I haven't seen the, that voter's box. I am figure it's probably the size of a shoebox they might give us to put our votes in. <laughs> Were you inspired by any other radio talk shows, local or national? National. Most people don't know it, but believe it or not, I used to listen to him all. Who is that? All night long. Which who did you used to listen you, to? You never guess who it was. Who? Larry King. Okay. <laughs> okay. I always he see he was a very open-minded liberal, but he was an extremely good talk show. I thought he was, I think he's very good. He's very good. I used to listen to him every night, five nights a week. That's what really inspired me. And I somehow, I don't know, was it some kind of spirit I sent to Jeff Murray or what? I don't know how in the world he called me, but that was exactly what I wanted to do was a talk show. You've been doing the talk show, your talk show on KNON as a volunteer host. Mm Mm-hmm. Since 1986. 1986. What was that? Uh, March 9th? Was it March 11th? What, what day? Yes, it was March March 11th, yeah. 1986. 1986. I've been doing it. Well, on behalf of KNON, I'd like to thank <coughs> you. I thank KNON and I thank the general public. Thank all the people for listening to it. Because I know I said a lot of things that shocked you at first. Oh, my God, he shouldn't say, oh, my, yeah, I know I had a whole lot of that. But those same people became allies when they began to see what I was really saying. I remember we have a, a board member. She used to come down and say, I could just wring your neck. And it was uh, Sue Turner. <laughs> and then, but later, she and I became friends. You see, when you haven't walked a mile in another man's shoes, 
you don't know the path we've taken. And uh, it has been. Akeno Inn has been probably one of the most refreshing things that ever happened to this city. Have you ever met some of the other local talk radio hosts? Yes. Oh, yes, I know. Uh, Robert Ashley. Willis Johnson was supposed to be playing music, but he did more talk than he did play music and everything. Now, I remember the first talk show I ever heard in Dallas was on KLIF late at night. His name's going to come to me. It'll come to me. But uh, he did a talk show in Dallas. And I remember uh, his big show. He felt he was so proud to have. He had Muhammad Ali on. <laughs> and he and Is that Ali, Ron Chapman? No. Uh, the, you know, it'll come to me. His name will come to me. He's not a, a personality in Dallas today or nothing. He, after he left, that was it. But uh, now this was in 1966 when I first came out of high school. Uh, KLIF had this guy on. I listened to him. Now, quite naturally, during the talk show in Dallas, he was conservative. Most of your talk shows in Dallas have been, just about all of them just about, have been very conservative talk shows. Well, that remains true to this day. Oh, yeah, until now. I don't know. 20 years from now, it might still be the same thing. I don't know. (laughs) No, that's why you can find something different on KNON, so the the whole community can be represented. Yeah. Yeah. Who are your favorite guests over the years? I tell you who was the most energetic and insightful and just a real good guest, Dr. Joseph Lowry. And why was that? I don't know. He just energetic, and he was very thoughtful, very thoughtful. He was my first well-known national guest. Then after him, I had uh, Ralph Abernathy. Uh, I brought Ralph to Dallas a, a couple of times. I brought him here. We were fighting to save the projects in West Dallas. I invited him twice, and he came on KNON and talked talked to the people, and we had a big rally downtown where he, we, he and I rode on a wagon through downtown Dallas together. And uh, he was a good one. I had others. Tony Dorsett was, I was surprised, very surprised. He was a good guest. He was a real good guest. What issues I, were you discussing with Tony Dorsett? You know, Dorsett wasn't going to talk about nothing but football now. He loved himself now. <laughs> he was really, really a nice guy. He had eaten lunch, not lunch, but Thanksgiving dinner at my house where, where I was living with relatives in. And uh, the, he and another guy from California were business partners. And the, and the business partners was friends to my relatives' friends, and they we all that. Thanksgiving uh, lunch together, and they had beaten Washington that day. And Oh, he was hyped up. He was happy and everything. He was a good guest. He was a good one. Um, what was the big local issue the year you started? Dart. It would be Dart and police brutality. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not, much, not much has changed, it doesn't seem like. Oh, it was uh, something else then. Because if they pull you over... That was a 50% chance if you was uh, black. He was going to ask you to get out of the car and beat your head with that stick. They weren't shooting us that day, and they would just beat you down with that stick. They didn't have any mace or anything at that time. 
Yeah, I think it was police brutality. But they were killing some of us then. I just now remember. They used to kill at least, believe it or not, they used to kill about 15 black people in Dallas every year. How did you take calls when you started? What was the technology like? Jeff Murray would work the phones for me. He was a station manager, so everything went smooth because he knew the station like a book and everything. So then, but he showed me how to do it. See, my first 18, 19 years on air, I worked the board. I was in the studio by myself. I worked the board and everything. It was it was good. I, quite naturally, we had quite a few gremlins who would like to hang around the station and mess it up. We still have those. <laughs> yeah, we still have some. <laughs> yeah. What what do you consider the most significant development in regards to justice in America since 1986? Uh, significant development that has happened in America. The strongest movement that have come along have been the women's movement. People of color that have moved into America have pulled up far greater than used to be. Like take Hispanics, there didn't used to be a whole lot of. It was a lot of Hispanics. It wasn't nothing like it is now. That, that population has grown in Dallas. And, uh, well, you had a black president. <laughs> you had that. But really significant change that's really going to pull things up would have to be, it's going to be the identifying of redlining by banks and lending institutions. They've done better, but they haven't done nearly what they should be doing. That's a fight still going on. That's still a fight that's going on. Who has done the most for social justice in America since 1986? I can tell you you've been the most popular, Jesse Jackson. And you would have just a lot of things. The commencing of rap music brought a big change. Rap music, really, the first half of the 90s was very good, 80s and 90s. That first half was very popular, and it was very positive. It carried a great message of our liberation. But in the second half of the 90s, something happened. It just turned over, turned back, turned negative, turned into what they call gangster rap. And uh, I, I, I hated that. But I loved it when it first started because they, they were saying things that was really meaningful, that was make this all a great nation. But that was reversed on us overnight, 1995. They reversed it, brought on the gang. Those are some of the big things that have changed. And one of the big social ears from since I came on in 86, you had a great, great social ill at that time, was teenage pregnancy. I can remember one of the first shows I did Houston Yates, that's a high school in Yates, I'm in, in Houston, Jack Yates, had a young girl that was the valedictorian, but she got pregnant. And there were those who did not want her to have her speech because she had gotten pregnant. That was a thing that, uh, that was apropos for that day. I know that sounds crazy now. It wouldn't even be discussed now. But that was, they, they finally let her do uh, valedictory speech, but it was, uh, oh, it was a lot of people upset about that. Uh, see, issues like that, would, that wouldn't even be an issue today. But back then, when I first started here, that was an issue. We talked about it. People had a lot of things to say about that. 
What is something you wish would have happened in the struggle for social justice in America? I wish we had brought the economics along just as much as we did social programs. Here's what I'm saying. Because after a while, checking into the hotel wasn't a problem. The problem was checking out. When it comes time to have to pay for that room. If we could have brought them both together. The ownership of the hotel. Yes. When you bring the economics, you know, you bring in what's needed. But when you're just begging for a room to let me have a room, let me spend my money, that's money going away from you. So I remember Mr. Griffin, Hudson Griffin, and I was talking once. He was telling me about the NAACP was here in 54 in Dallas. Oh, it was a great time. I said, where where did the delegates stay? Oh, they stayed in our homes. We all invited them into our homes. And I think the rooms, he said, was about $2 or $3 a day, something like that. I said, all right. But now this was here in the later years, in the 80s, when the NAACP came to Dallas. And he was bragging about how far we've come. They're standing in the hotels. I said, well, let me ask you something. Which year did the black community do better? In 54 or in, it might have been 84, something like that. I asked him that. He said, well, when you think about it, we were better off in 84. <laughs> we made money in our community. And uh, the community went to the power structure downtown in the later years. So then economics should have been incorporated in just as much as social programs. What is something you think will happen in the future in the struggle for social justice in America? I really believe today, at this point in time, in October 2020, hopefully I'm right. I was wrong in 16. But I, I feel like Biden might win president. Now, that could have a great effect. I know some people like to say, all the Democrats haven't done anything. Yes, they did. Yeah, ain't going to tell that lie. I got to get credit where credit is due. 64, he's the greatest president we've ever had as black people. The greatest president was not John F. Kennedy. The greatest president we ever had was Lyndon Johnson. He got the Civil Rights Bill passed. He got the Voting Rights Bill passed. He got open housing passed. He did things. He had been there long enough. He knew enough dirt on everybody to get them vote to vote his way. You had a staunch racist that was going to kill the 64 Civil Rights Bill. But Lyndon Johnson picked up his phone and called this particular senator who was going to filibuster and kill the bill. But we didn't find out till later years what was it that Johnson told Strom Thurmond. He said he's going to tell him about his illegitimate daughter by a black woman and you have a black daughter now, and I'll get her to come on and identify. And, see, he could get down and dirty, <laughs> just like the, like the Republicans could, you know. And he would. And Strong Thurmond sat down and let it go, didn't kill the Civil Rights Bill, and it passed. The difference then is America had a better Congress than we have now. Everything is political now. Everything is on, is according to what party, what party you're a part of. 
Uh, a lot of people don't realize. I know they give the Democrats all the credit for the Civil Rights Bill, but you had a whole lot of strong Republicans that supported that Civil Rights Bill. You had your uh, Jacob Javits and other Republicans that were, that pushed. A lot of Republicans voted for it. But the reason why I guess the Democrats get the credit is because you had a Democratic president at that time. Those things have changed. But what we need to do now is make sure that all people are given the opportunity for America to be great for them. My ancestors built America. They were slaves. They worked for free. They worked in the hot burning sun. But some of them were the people, well, we take Washington, D.C., was built by, was designed by a white man. The Capitol building was built by slaves. We go to a plantation after plantation. We can go look at the cotton fields, sorghum fields, tobacco fields. The reason why America is on Wall Street today is because of that, those things that the black African slave did. And we deserve a part, a real part of America. I'm not talking about a handout, but a real part of America. Economic justice. Yes, a real part of America. So what is the best path forward for social justice? You know what? That's one of the hardest questions you could ever ask me because of this. We can't educate ourselves, seem like, to social justice because the uh, black female has more doctorate degree than anybody, than any white female, white male, or black male. The black male have... 12% of its men with PhDs. It, it proves. They said, get education. To get a good job, get a good education. Uh, to get ahead, get a good education. We have basically the average black person you meet now, you can just meet Morgan down the street and talk to her. You'll find out they have a college education. But they're not in the big skyscrapers in downtown. They're not in these uh, professional buildings out here in Northdale. Don't have those positions. The best way we can do it now is we're going to have to destroy redlining to be able to get loans in our businesses that we would have enough money to make it. You can have a rainy day. Most black people that go into business now, you have a couple of rainy days, they're out of business. They don't have enough money, can't borrow enough money to go in business to have a rainy day. So it's ec economic justice. Economic right justice. Right back to that. Yes. America believes in five, the whole world thrives on the dollar. And if you don't have any dollars, they just feel like you don't have any sense. Borrowed money. It's <laughs> lending and credit, and that's how you build a business. That's right. Yeah. That's right. What is your advice to a person of color when they encounter systematic racism? <laughs> don't. Don't turn around. Don't turn around. Face it head on. Address it head on. Don't turn around. Don't, don't take down. Uh, we must understand that we are intelligent men and women. We should have the same opportunity anybody else have in America, if not more. The reason why so many people want to come to America, so many what we call immigrants come to America, is because of what our ancestors did, made America great. And Trump talk about 
let's make America great again. Well, he need to elevate the black man. He need to <laughs> because it was great, but we wasn't a part of it. Elevate the people that that built America. It took systematic thinking. It took instructions from the elderly to younger people. It took things that were really just common sense a lot of times, just plain common sense, will make us and America a country that can be dominant. Quit believing in the bomb because it's gotten to this world now has become where America, your bomb can't free you anymore now because your enemy live next door. Hello. You blow him up, you're going to have to blow yourself up now. We can't live off the bottom well, anymore. Violence leads to more violence. That's all. An eye for an eye leaves everybody blind and without direction. Mm -hmm. So the notion of economic justice is something that that's also speaks to America when it's burdened with hatred and racism is failing to use its human resources. That's right. There are so many intelligent people, so many ambitious people, but to judge people without giving them opportunities for success means that you're failing in utilizing their potential. Well, you're so right, because the cure for COVID-19, or the cure for AIDS, HIV, the person that could have done it might have been Kicked out of school. <laughs> All yeah. brains look the same. Yeah. No matter the color of a man's skin, the brain inside. Yes, look the same. But that brain may not have ever been able to develop. Has to be nurtured. Yes. Has to be given opportunity to be educated. That's how it's done. Give everybody an opportunity. Then America could be greater than probably anyone ever dreamed it would ever be. There is so everyone much, had an equal opportunity. That raises the potential of the entire country. That's right. See, we America has, as, as great as it has been, it has never reached its full potential because it has never given everyone in the country an opportunity to exercise their full potential. Look how great America could have been if there was not all this bigotry and hatred. The ignorance that is racism is just born out of laziness and an unwillingness to understand the complications yeah. that is human beings. Mm -hmm. And it, without that willfulness to embrace and understand and accept people, again, America's human resources mm -hmm. just can't be realized. And, and it's never been realized. I'm old enough to remember the uh, polio pandemic. Anybody could have gotten polio just like HIV. In fact, the president got polio just like Trump have got COVID-19. Roosevelt got polio. And uh, still, in that time, you had so many su people suppressed and depressed and wasn't given the opportunity to reach their potential. That epidemic or pandemic, whatever polio they wanted to call it, I think they called it an epidemic back in those days. But... They would not allow certain people just to go and get an education and an opportunity to use that creative mind that could have gotten things done 
And that's why we've never reached our potential. By not reaching our potential, we've suffered things we shouldn't have suffered. And I'm going to leave it at that. Stay tuned for part two of this podcast, which will be coming up next. And we will be continuing this conversation. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to part one of this podcast with Reverend Marion Barnett, host of Church and Information Forum on KNON Radio since 1986. I encourage you to subscribe to this and all of KNON's podcasts. 